our church is a light in the darkness, a city on a hill. Every believer is called to make a difference in the world, to love God completely, and to make disciples of every nation. But in this busy, mobile, noisy world, it can be difficult to even do the basics, to pray, to read the Word, to bring the love of God to our marriages, families, neighbors, and coworkers. We know you're here because you want to be a part of God's mission on the earth. You want to experience the abundant life that Scripture talks about. You're looking to connect your faith to every part of your life, every day of the week. That's why our church is subscribing to Right Now Media and making it available for free to every member of our church. You'll have access to over 10,000 online Bible study videos on parenting, marriage, finance, discipleship, leadership, and many more. The videos can be used in Bible study groups or for personal devotion. There's also a huge library of safe biblical kids videos. We'd love to see every member of our church utilizing Right Now Media. Small group leaders leading their adult or youth groups through engaging Bible study series. Children enjoying safe programming that doesn't just entertain, but helps lay a strong spiritual foundation. Families spending quality time together, going through devotional Bible studies. Couples using biblical studies on marriage, parenting, and finance. Applying God's Word to every area of their lives. There is something for everyone. We want to help you grow as a disciple of Christ, and we want to help you become a disciple maker in your home, your school, your workplace, your neighborhood, in whatever mission field God has called you to. We believe that this free resource will help equip and unleash you to live out your faith in every area of life, to experience God-centered, abundant life, not just on Sundays, but every day. We are for you, and God is for you. He wants to empower you every day to live for Him. Together, we can be a light in the darkness, a city on a hill, You should have gotten in your bulletin um, an insert looks like this that will tell you how to access that. Uh, we have been using Right Now Media in our house for a while and think it's just awesome. Uh, my kids love this show called What's in the Bible with Buck Denver. And it's produced by the same people who, who started Veggie Tales. So same, same dude, uh, Phil Vischer, uh, does this. Now here's the thing. You don't have to be a kid to enjoy that. Uh, if it's in the, the bottom left corner here of your, uh, if you want to see what that looks like. If you're a new Christian, or if you've been following Jesus for a while, but never really going to like dug deep down into the Bible, you should watch that. You will learn stuff you never knew. It's awesome. It's a kid's show, but it's like, it's like when you were, like, you know, watching the Muppets in the 80s. Some of you were full-on adults, and you were watching the Muppets. Same deal, okay? They're puppets. It's awesome. So we want to resource you before the summer hits. People are crazy, and their, uh, their schedules are crazy. They might be crazy. I don't know. Anyway, but their schedules are crazy, and they're running all over. It's a great way to stay connected. So you can uh, follow the instructions here. You did get an email blast that went out to everybody this morning. Uh, we were singing, and it came up on my watch. Uh, so the whole church got this and with instructions on how to do that. Let's, uh, let's pray, and we'll, get, we'll jump into this. God, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for these uh, graduates and the, the many ways that you're going to use them, Lord. I pray, Jesus, today that you would speak uh, to us through your word. 
I pray that our hearts and minds would be open and receptive to what you would tell us so that we can follow you with reckless abandon all the days of our lives. We love you, Lord, and we just pray that you'd uh, speak through me to your people today. In your name we pray. Amen. So I want to start with uh, a little bit of a game today, okay? We're going to start with a game. I'm going to show you some pictures of a few houses, all right? I'm going to show you a before and an after, but I, I'm going to ask you to decide whether or not you want the house only having seen the before. So you got to decide, is this thing worth fixing? Is, is there any value there to me to, to like, you can you have this house, all right? Now, I just, I need to make this clear. You can have it in your imagination. We're not giving away houses today, okay? So you got to decide, just look at the before picture and tell me, you know, okay, just by show of hands, how many of you want the thing or not, all right? Okay, here we go. Here's the first one. Look at this. How many of you want it? Anybody? Okay, a few hands. This is how it turned out. Hey. All right. Okay, let me show you another one. Here's, here's the before. It's like a house in the fire swamp. How many want it? A few hands. Okay, all right. Here's the after. Wow, is, how is that even the same house, man? That's awesome. Okay, here, here, let's do the next one. Here's the before. Anybody want it? Okay, a few hands. All right. Here's the after. Oh, man, what happened? <laughs> now, some of you dig this. You like this cool contemporary thing. I liked it before. I would, you know, give me brick and wood. That's, that's kind of my thing. So I don't know if it's the Missouri in me coming out or what. But, uh, okay, here's the next one. Here's the before. Okay, anybody want it? Anybody? Hands, go hands. Okay, all right, here's the after. <laughs> like, can, I want, here's my house, but can you give me a fence? I'd really love to live in a fence. <laughs> Looks like to me, I don't know. Like one of those that you pull across the security gate, you know, the expanding. Anyway, um, maybe it's your thing, I don't know. Okay, here's the next one. Here's the before. Anybody want this one? Okay, a few hands. All right, here's the after. <laughs> maybe it's your deal. Cool, some of you are like, ooh, I wish. But I just like, you know, like I'd love to live in a concrete box. That sounds awesome. Okay, whatever. All right, one more, one more. No, yeah, here's, uh, this last one. Here's the before. This is a real house. Okay, anybody want this one? Okay. All right. Here's the after. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, I want the pool, but can I have the other house? Right? You know, just like, this is a real place. That, that's a real remodel. They really did that to a real home. Okay. Now, let me ask you, how many of you have ever gone away on a long trip, maybe family vacation or your work took you on a business trip for a couple weeks, and you come home and you notice something broken and you're like, was that? Was that broken before we left, or did that break while we were gone? <laughs> you know, like, was that, was that that way before we, honey, did, did, was this, has this always been broken, or, or, or what's going on here, you know? If that's ever happened to you, then I think you'll identify with the nation of Israel's experience in our text for today. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I'm grateful that you're here at Chapel Rock. If it's your first time, man, I'd love to meet you. I'll be down front when we're done. Please come down and say hi. If you're uh, here to see a graduate today and, and you don't have a church home, we'd love for you to come back next week when you don't have a graduate on stage. And, uh, and, and check this out. For those of you joining us online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate those of you who do that. And whether you've been here for 30 minutes or 30 years, take a second and fill out that connection card. That helps us care for you better. If you've got a prayer request or a surgery or something like that, that just helps us do a better job here of caring for you. Also, John mentioned it before, but I need to say it again just to make sure everybody gets it. Okay, next weekend, 
Saturday night service at 6 o'clock, okay? Sunday morning, there's brunch at 9. We need to know if you're coming. One of our values here is radical hospitality. Nothing says lousy hospitality like not having enough food for everybody. So if you're planning on being here or even think you might, let us know, all right? Because if, if we're leftovers, we get it in the office. So um, <laughs> uh, please let us know if you're planning on being here. Also, we are going to stream the Saturday night service and record it, okay? And then it will be available Sunday morning uh, if you can't get in because of the race and then you, like, you live, you know, that way. <laughs> um, it, and it's tough to get in here. You can download it. We'll have a play. We can't do the music because of licensing and it's super expensive stuff to do. But we'll have like a playlist on YouTube where you could do the songs and then the sermon and it would come close. Okay. We just don't have our volunteers again because of the race uh, to get here for Sunday morning streaming. So that's next week. All right. Um, we're starting a new sermon series today called When Exiles Come Home. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be studying this Old Testament prophetic book of Zechariah. Now, this is the second to last book in the Old Testament. So if you're looking for it, if you want to turn to Zechariah, I'm going to spin this around so you can see. That's about where it is. It's almost to the, so you got Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew into the New Testament, all right? So it's about three quarters of the way through your Bible, uh, if you want to turn there. Um, let me tell you about this guy, Zechariah. He was born, actually, in Babylon, he was born in exile to a wealthy, uh, influential, priestly family from Judea. And then when he was a little kid, they left Babylon and were part of the exiles who came home. He moved home back to Judea, back to the area around Jerusalem. And, that, and then so he grows up there. And then in about 520 B.C., so that would be the 6th century B.C., because you count down to zero from there, okay? So it's the 6th century B.C., about 520. Um, it, all in one night, he has this series of visions where God is trying to reveal something to him about how he wants the, this community of exiles to live now that they're home. And that's about the quickest summary I could ever hope to give you, okay? It's, I will tell you, I will confess, it's very much a temptation for me to go way down the rabbit hole here and get into all the historical context. And I'm going to encourage you to read it on your own. If you want to know what's going on historically to Zechariah, you can read Ezra and Nehemiah. That, those were contemporaries of him. He's also a contemporary of the prophet Haggai. All right? So if you want to know what's going on in the culture, you can read Ezra and Nehemiah. If you want to know why they had to go into exile and to begin with, you can read 2 Kings, the end of that, and in 2 Chronicles that tell you, here's, these people were unfaithful to God's covenant, and he said, I've had it with you, Israel, and he sent them off into exile for 70 years. Okay? Um, it's, it's tempting for me to want to go way down the rabbit hole, but we don't have time for that. And that's partly true because there, there's so much historical and cultural distance you know, the, you got 6th century B.C. Jewish people, 21st century American people. It, it, it's, it's crazy. Um, it's also true because this is apocalyptic literature. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Apo the apocalypse means to reveal a mystery, all right? It's the same kind of literature as much, like half of the book of Daniel, almost all of the book of Ezekiel, the book of Revelation in the New Testament. It has that same kind of thing where they use these, sometimes these huge cosmic images. You know, Ezekiel talks about a wheel within a wheel. We don't even know what that is. And it's these massive images that describe uh, what's going on, you know, in their culture. Um, this book is chock full of, of big, visually arresting, shockingly vivid images that symbolize underlying cosmic realities. 
And sometimes, about half the time, Zechariah uses these huge images. They're like, wow, this is big. Other times he uses really ordinary, average, everyday stuff. Like a dude on a horse. It's pretty normal, right? A guy with a measuring line. That's normal, right? You know, some lady in a jar. Okay, that's a little weird. Um, but it, it, these are images that we can wrap our heads around, okay? And what he's doing is he's describing things that were few, uh, current at the time for him, 520 BC, but some of them also describe stuff way off in the future. 520, well, 550 years later, the ministry of Jesus. And maybe even further than that, even future to us. And it can get a little, little tough to tell. What exactly is he talking about? Okay, so before we get into this, I, I want you to have an overview of the whole book so that as we're learning about it, you'll have a basis of understanding, some, some contextual framework to really hear what God is saying to you. Because here's the thing, this, this may not be directly be God's word to you, but it is still God's word for you. Is anybody in here a 6th century Jew? Okay, I didn't think so. So this word was given to them. It's God's word to them, but it's still God's word for you. And, and, and we need to understand that cultural distance. Uh, uh, there's a distance of culture and language and time and all that stuff. It, it's a, there's, a, there's a distance there, but it's still God's word for you. And the reason I say that is some of you are wondering, but Casey, this is 21st century America. Why should we even bother to study this? Okay? That's why. It's still God's word for you. And here's my promise. If you will listen... God will speak to you from this book. Yes, the culture is different. Yes, the language is different. Yes, the times are different. But I believe this has a word for us. And I believe we need to hear this about what it means to really live in the kind of community that God wants us to live in. I recently found a wonderful resource online called The Bible Project. They, they produce summary videos of Bible books. They did one for Zechariah. And I want to show that to you, partly because I think it's good that you have that big picture understanding of the book, partly because it's just that good. Now, I will tell you, this is long, about eight minutes. I'm, I'm yielding about a quarter of my sermon preaching time today to show you this. Ordinarily, I wouldn't do that, but this is so good, it, it warrants viewing the whole thing. Now, we may come back later in the series and show bits and pieces of it, but you, you need to do this. And I'll, I'll tell you what to search for later. Uh, so you can find it on your own if you want to rewatch it. But, but check this out and get ready to have God fill your tank. Watch this. Piece of cake, right? We got it. Okay. No, this, and, and here's the thing. I'm sitting on the front row and I have 20-20 and I'm going, I can't even read some of that. So if you want to watch this at home on your own screen where you can zoom in on it, you can just go on YouTube and search for The Bible Project Zachariah. And you can watch that again and maybe, maybe uh, get more of that. Um, you know, they, they, they lay out this structure, and as cool as that structure is, we're, we're, we're Westerners in our mindset. That's more of an Eastern way of thinking, and so we're just going to kind of march through this uh, series, and we're just going to do the first eight chapters uh, for reasons that you saw in the video. Uh, today, we're looking at the first two, and I'm going to read them all, okay? I'm going to read the whole thing. Before we do, though, I want to make sure that you, you have today's big idea in mind because it really shapes how you understand the text, all right? Here's the big idea this morning. God's valuation of and presence in our life and community is what makes them worth fixing up, all right? God's valuation of and presence in our life and community is what makes them worth fixing up. God's value on human life and human community, being with one another, and his willingness to participate in both of those things, in his incarnation and in his dwelling among us, 
means that those things are worth fixing. They're worth fixing. That's the message that the exiles needed to hear. And they also needed to hear why. Why they're worth fixing. And that's the message for us today. Why should we bother to invest in our community? Why should we bother to fix things up? I mean, if Jesus is just going to come back, like, let's just get through this and it will be good, right? I mean, there's this kind of eschatological escapism. Like, we just got to get through it. Jesus is going to come back. He'll fix it all and just make it through. And God says, no, 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 no. This is valuable. Your community is valuable. You need to fix it up. You need to engage in it. You need to be part of it. And that's the message for us this morning. Why should we even care that the whole community becomes whole in Christ? Well, I think this apocalyptic passage provides two answers to that question that are pretty applicable for us too. First of all, we have a home worth fixing, number one, because the Lord values it. Because the Lord values it. That's the first thing. This book begins really with a call to repentance. He says, return to me and I will return to you. Now that word return is one of the most important words in the Old Testament. It, it, usually, it means to come back. Sometimes it even means to come home. He said, come back. Come back. It's an image of repentance because inherently what sin is is a running away from God. And so these are exiles who've come home. Now, that's kind of interesting that he begins by saying, return, come back. Because it wasn't they who sinned. It was their parents. It was their grandparents. It was 70 years ago that they got carried off into exile. Babylon came in, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, carried them all off to Babylon. It, 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 was, it was that, that for that reason that he's saying, you know, like, it's just weird that he would say, repent. Like, why is he saying this? I'll tell you why. Because they were also guilty of, of sin. And what they had done is not see the value in their community. They, they were delaying. They were trying to push it off. Like, well, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. It doesn't really fit my timetable. I mean, I thought God said he was going to fix it. And it's not fixed yet. How many of you, don't raise your hands, have ever been frustrated because God didn't do what you want on your timetable? Right? That's where they are. And he says, repent. Turn back to me. Why? Because he values them. See, a key verse to seeing how much God values his people is, is one that we see in verse 14. Okay? You know what? I, I got so wound up, I didn't even read the passage. Oh, my goodness. Well, we better stop and do that right now. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, guys at the back, you just, Carl, you rocked it, man. You, you, <laughs> you, you ran with me. Let's just read the text. I apologize, guys. Um, Nick, I feel your pain. Uh, so, <laughs> I, I do, by the way, Emma's not here today because she works at, at Chick-fil-A and her company they're in Avon, they're remodeling right now. And to take away the sting of that, uh, they just took them all to Kings Island today. And she's like, can I go? And I'm like, well... I would, yeah, I go. <laughs> so, uh, all expenses paid trip to Kings Island. Yeah, have fun, huh? Um, so that's where she is. And by the way, she graduated first in her class too. Um, <laughs> very proud of her. Uh, let's look at Zechariah chapter one, verse one. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, so it's grounding this in history, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. 
Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. <laughs> All of a sudden you're like, yeah, what he was saying before makes sense now. Okay. <laughs> Do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? Implied answer, no, they're all dead. But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. By the way, the sign of real repentance is recognizing that the justice of God is actually correct. That when he disciplines you, he's right to do that. Real repentance will show that when God disciplines you, that he was right in doing that. On the 24th day of the 11th month, in the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. During the night, I had a vision, and there before me was a man mounted on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red and brown and white horses. I asked, what are these, my Lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, These are the ones that the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, We have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. Sounds good, right? Wait. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah with which you have been angry these 70 years? Oh, see, there's the problem. The whole world's at peace, but not us. We're struggling. (laughs) You ever feel that way? Like everybody else seems like they're getting what they need and want. And I'm just fighting and banging my head against a wall. You can identify. So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Then the angel who was speaking with me said, Proclaim this word, this message. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. This is the good kind of jealousy. This is the kind of jealousy that, that a husband or wife has for their spouse, right? Like, the, the, she's my Debbie. She's not your Debbie. She's my Debbie. You can't have her. See this thing? I get to be jealous for her. Nobody else, just her. And that's the covenant relationship that God has with his people, often imaged in wedding terminology. That's what God means here. These are his people. He cares for them, okay? It's that kind of jealousy. It's the good kind. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, and I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says, my towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Then I looked up, and there before me were four horns. In prophetic literature, a horn is almost always a symbol of power. Any kind of power, but specifically in this case, secular, ungodly nations. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these? He answered me, these are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. In the video, they were blacksmiths. I asked, what are these coming to do? He answered, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise their head. But the craftsmen have come to terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. Then I looked up and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, Run, tell that young man Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Come, come, 
Flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. He's inviting them to come home. Come back. (laughs) Come, Zion. Escape, you who live in daughter Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you. Little excursus here. For whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming. I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will, be, he, and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion and the Holy Land will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. See, God is, is jealous for his people He said that in verse 2, he said he was very angry with them for their sin. And then in verse 14, he says he was only a little angry. We're like, what's going on? That sounds like a contradiction. It's not because the word translated little. (laughs) The word translated little can also mean short, like a little time. So I think what this is saying is God is saying, I was really angry for a while. And now I'm not. And parents, you know this. If you're so you're not, you know this feeling like your kid does something wrong or disobedient or disrespectful. They mouth off to you. They lie to you. They sneak out when you haven't told them to be in, whatever. And you're so mad, you know, like you could, like you're just, you feel the, the heat just, and your ears blows, right? You're like, I have had it with you. And then they go up to you and go, I'm sorry. All right, come here, you little rebel. Let me give you a hug. Right? It, it, it's that sense, I mean, you're really mad for a while, but your love overcomes that. (laughs) And that's what God is saying here. And you have to go back into the earlier prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel to understand why he's angry. (laughs) And what they'll tell you is that these people aren't valuing each other. They're taking advantage of each other. They're cheating one another. They're, They're hurting one another. The wealthy are taking advantage of the poor. The powerful are taking advantage of the weak. They're cheating and robbing and stealing from one another. God says, you're not valuing each other the way I value you. And then he makes this great promise. He says, I'm going to stretch out a measuring line over the city. And some of you, if you've been reading Daniel recently, you're like, ooh, that's bad, right? Because in Daniel, you've been, measure, you've been weighed, you've been measured, and you've been found wanting. Like, that's a judgment image, but not here. What you need, when you hear measuring line, you need to think Stanley Tate measure. Because that's what it is. What do you do when you're going to improve your house? You bust out the tape measure. You start taking, how big is this room? We want to blow out that wall. Can we do that? I don't know. Is it weight bearing? Okay. And you figure out all that stuff. That's what God is doing here. He's measuring the city to see how big does it need to be. How, how, how big can we make this thing? How many people can we invite in to be part of our community? Listen, when you really value something that's broken, you'll do everything in your power to fix it. Just this past week, um, a friend of mine, who's also in ministry, fellow pastor, uh, is also we're in a Facebook group together. Um, I had to tell the group. Uh, he said, "Gentlemen, um, I regret to inform you that I've had to resign my ministry effective immediately uh, because of a moral failure due to same-sex attraction." I've known this guy for twenty years, and my my I, I, my heart just snapped inside me. Oh, man. No. 
not you. No. So we prayed for him. I've been praying for him. And my heart is breaking for him. And my heart is breaking for his wife, who is staying with him through this. And, and he has gotten into a recovery program. And, and, and he's, he's in counseling. And, and they're working through it. And I believe that God is going to restore my friend. But I, I'm blown away. His wife is also my friend. I've known her for a long time. I'm, I'm blown away by her. I'm praising God for her. Listen to me. Did you hear me? If you value something that's broken, you do whatever it takes to fix it. And if that's true for God in his relationship with you, then it's also true for you in your marriage and with your kids and with your neighbor who is a jerk. If you value something that's broken, you do whatever it takes to fix it. And I want you to get that this morning, that when God calls you to be part of his community, he calls you to be a people who see things that, that see value even in broken things and work to fix them. See, we got a home worth fixing around here. God valued his relationship with you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you on the cross. And all of human history hinges on that truth. God says to his people, repent, because you're not valuing your community the way I value it. That's one reason that we have a home worth fixing. Here's the second reason that we have a home worth fixing. It's because the Lord himself lives there. The Lord lives there himself. In this third vision, in chapter 2, we once again get this image of the measuring line. That God is measuring Jerusalem, but he's going to expand it. He says, I'm coming to the city. My glory will dwell there. He's calling up the image of their journeys in the wilderness. When the tabernacle was in the middle of the camp, he said, I want to dwell among my people. I want to be with you. I want to live there myself. Listen, do you understand that the whole tragic tale of the human race is that we just keep trying to kick God out of the community? And he wants to be in it. And so his actions all throughout human history have been to be part of this with us, to be engaged in this with us. Because of his relentless love, he keeps trying to find a way back in. He tells the exiles, you're the apple of my eye. It's a real specific term. He's talking about the, the... it's real specific. It's the image of yourself you see when you get right up proximate to someone's face and you see your reflection in their pupil. That's what this word means. What God is saying is, I see a reflection of myself in you. You matter to me because I see a reflection of myself in you. You're the apple of my eye. Now, he's not talking about the nation as it is. He's talking about them as they should be. All right, in the ideal sense, bearing the, this, this far-off reflection of the divine. And because of that, they're worthy of being restored and beautified. They become the mirror image of God in heaven on earth. And you see this in chapter 2, verse 10. Look at this. He says, shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I... I'm coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Now look at this, look at this. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. See, that's a prophecy. And you know when it came true, right? Acts chapter 2. When God sent his spirit, he poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. That prophecy came true. 
See, if you don't know this, the New Testament tells the story of how God sent his spirit to dwell among his people after the ascension of Jesus and how eventually the door to being part of God's kingdom got opened way, way, way wider than just being a descendant of Abraham. And as someone whose ancestors grew up in Scotland, I am so thankful for that because my people were worshiping trees and rocks and stuff, man, and wearing a plaid skirt. They were a mess. And now we got a relationship with God, pants, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm kidding, that didn't happen until the 1700s. Listen, Jesus was the only hope my pagan ancestors had. And every human being you've ever met, and those you haven't, born and unborn, bear the image of God. And God wants nothing more than to make his home with them. To be in relationship and community with them. And it is his presence in our community that makes it a home worth fixing. It makes it a home worth investing in. It's because God is here. Every human being you've ever met, their breath is on loan from God. It is, we sing about it. It's your breath in our lungs, O oh God. We praise him with our, with his, our breath is his breath. Church, you need to learn to see the value in your community because of God's presence in it. And because God is present in it, it is worth investing yourself in. It's worth fixing. Now some of you may still be asking, okay, Casey, but all those things are also taught in the New Testament. Why are we doing this from Zechariah? I'll tell you, there are three reasons. Number one, Paul said to the Ephesian elders, I have not failed to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, he says, I didn't skip it. <laughs> they didn't skip the hard stuff. I didn't skip passages I didn't want to talk about. And the simple fact that it's in this book means it's worthy of being preached, about, preached on. Full stop, the end. It's here, it, it's worthy of it. It's God's word for us, okay? That's one reason. The second reason is that in our nation right now, we are dealing with an immigration slash refugee slash exile issue here in America. I think it's important that we look at this. I think we get God's perspective on how we should think about that issue. Right? That's important. And then thirdly, most of all, it's because all of us have wandered away from God at some point. See, if it weren't for Jesus, you'd have no hope of ever coming home. But because of Jesus' love for us, we can, just like these exiles, return to God and have hope. He can dwell in our community and transform it to become like Him. Listen, God values you and wants to make his home with you. Will you let him do that today? See, he wants you to realize that you can come home. That's what I've been trying to tell you all morning. God's valuation of and his presence in our life and community is what makes them worth fixing up. And so my invitation for you today is come home. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Well, in just a second, we're going to stand and sing together. You can come home, just like the prodigal did in Luke 15. You can come home and say, I, I want to belong to the community of God. I want to be part of that family. You come and confess Christ as Lord and be baptized, receive the Spirit. God will do a work in you like you can't imagine. Maybe you need to come home and say, you know what? I've been kind of just ignoring my neighbors, hoping that they'll go away. And, and I need to repent. And maybe you'll want to do that right where you are. Maybe, maybe you'll have to ask someone to pray with you and pray for you. Our, our decision counselors will be down front. 
You might need to talk to a leader. You can go to the next step room under the yellow awning. But I'm going to ask you to stand with me and you respond as God leads you today. Let's stand together.